Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Jared Saavedra. As the... um we come come through this Christmas season, and you know my my daughter is just about sixteen months now, and we were hoping you know this year would be the year when she would start to realize like she would start to enjoy more of the Christmas experiences, such as um, seeing the mission in lighting, for instance, in Riverside, or just going out and seeing Christmas lights, or going and seeing Christmas music, or, or seeing some kind of demonstration of the Nutcracker. One of those experiences, um, unfortunately, you know, we haven't been able to do a lot of those things, which made me start to think um, of the just the how important what we would call like the Christmas experiences, you know, to our memory. You know, still to this day, I can, I can picture, I can visualize those special moments um, that I've experienced around this season, you know, when the family's gathered around, or even that, that special lighting when all the lights in the house are off and it's, it's late at night, but only the Christmas tree is on. You know, that great, that great visual picture. And I started to think about how much of the Christmas holiday and Christmas celebrations are visual. I mean, we even, and I was thinking about, we even have a song about how visual Christmas is, and it's called, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. And, you know, depending on your generation, you're going to hear Michael Buble, or you're going to hear Bing Crosby sing it. But it goes like this, you know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go, take a look at the 5 and 10, which I think is a a store, right? It's a convenience store. Um, And he, he uh, he talks about hop along boots and a pistol that shoots um, is the wish of Barty and Ben. And then they talk about dolls that talk and go for a walk. And all those things are the Christmas sights. But of course, um, the, the best sight to see is what? The holly that will be on your own front door. And it's kind of, oh, it's nice and sentimental. But I thought about that as I was looking at the experience in the Christmas story of the shepherds. Because they had the greatest visual experience that we can think of. They were allowed to behold the newborn baby Jesus. The newborn Son of God who was in, came, coming into this world as the Christ, as their Lord. And they were able to behold them. They were given that moment as a gift from God. And so we're going to look closely in this chapter, in this message I should say, at the joy that the shepherds experienced when it was announced to them that Christ was born in their city. And they rejoiced and they glorified God, as we will see, because they looked upon Christ, not simply because they saw Him, but, simply, but also, more importantly, because they looked upon the Christ child in faith. And so the title of our message this morning is The Sign of Great Joy, referring, to, of course, to the sign that the angels give to the shepherds. We're going to start off um, by reading the, the actual account, according to Luke, of the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Which is, I mean, I just want to say, as, as someone who, who loves books and loves to read, the Gospel of Luke is so beautifully written, and it's a great economy of words, but let me stop talking about it and let me go ahead and read it. In verse 1 it says, In those days... 
a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Just a couple notes on this story right away. Um, we, we see how Luke establishes the story. It's really quite beautiful. He goes on a great, he, he, he takes a wide shot, and he talks about the registration of all the world. And of course, he's referring to the Roman world, the entire world that, that Rome ruled, the Roman Empire. And the Caesar Augustus wanted the whole world to be registered. And sometimes, we, sometimes I forget, but like, oh yeah, 2020, this was a census year. And the same idea was kind of applying to this. And that censuses, we take them today, not simply to update our, our city signs to say, oh, the city of Corona has this many people now, but also it's for purposes, it's political purposes, it's, it's purposes of taxes and federal funding, etc. And it really was the same reason there. But, you know, Caesar Augustus wanted the world to be registered because... He really wanted the world to pay, pay taxes. And so, but this precipitated, this decision by the providence of God um, precipitated this whole circumstance uh, and, and turn of events that led Joseph and Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, to the city of Bethlehem. And we come all the way from you know, this establishment of the whole world to be registered, and we come all the way and we zoom in all the way to the birth of Jesus being laid in a manger. And we get that beautiful visual there. And so we move on from the birth story, from the circumstances of the birth, and we'll spend the rest of our time right here looking at the shepherds and the announcement to the shepherds themselves. Because as we'll see, the shepherds um, took this opportunity, this announcement to rejoice greatly and to glorify God greatly. And we think how incredible it is that God would choose to announce to these specific people, and we'll look at that. So let's look at verse 8, starting in verse 8. It says, And in the same region, the area of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. So there's some indication there that the birth of Jesus was in the evening. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. By all indications, this is really the earliest announcement of the birth of Jesus that we do find in Scripture. The, the assembly of Luke's Gospel itself is really interesting. I know I'm talking, you know, just the... the way the Gospel of Luke is put together. But I find it really interesting that in Luke chapter 1, in the first couple of verses, Luke establishes that he investigated deeply. This is how he composed this Gospel. He investigated 
the, the events that happened in Jesus' life, the circumstances of His birth, the, the, what happened during His ministry, and He particularly favored eyewitnesses. And so, just remember that as we look at this eyewitness account of the shepherds, which we only find in the Gospel of Luke. So we're, pri- we're prioritizing the eyewitness account and this unique perspective that the shepherds have to the birth of Jesus when the angels come and they announce it. And so what we do we see in these couple verses is that the angels, first of all, they appear to shepherds. And we might think, why shepherds in particular? Like, is there something special about shepherds? Because you might be thinking, you know, shepherds are, you know, they're dancing or something in the fields and they're playing pan pipes, that, that kind of pastoral thing. But no, shepherds were um, a pretty low... Uh, a rank on the lowest rung of society. They, they were usually dirty and they spent a lot of time with sheep, so they smelled like sheep, if you will. And we see that they don't... If, if you wanted to announce the birth of a king, of the Son of God, of God incarnate, why exactly would you choose shepherds? We might think of a lot of other people to announce the birth of Christ to. But we do have some indications and some some ways in which we might think that this announcement to the shepherds is appropriate. And there are some suggestions right here in our Christmas text. The fact that Jesus was here born in the city of David in Bethlehem should cause us to remember that David himself, whom the city was kind of known for producing, was the greatest king of Israel. But remember that he was also, he started out his life as a young boy in, as a shepherd. He was in a family that were shepherds. And the ascension from a shepherd boy to the very throne of Israel was a great um, occasion to give God glory. And it was sung about in the Psalms. For instance, in Psalm 78, verses 71 through, uh, I'm sorry, verses 70 through 71, it's a very long psalm, It says this, He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. And that's this beautiful way of God, you know, grasping him from obscurity and putting him in this position for his own glory. But it's also so that uh, David, as a shepherd, would not only would not shepherd sheep anymore, but would shepherd God's people in this way. And so God has a special favor, evidently, for shepherds. And we see that God dis- um, seems to favor shepherds because he refers to himself also as a shepherd. God himself has a shepherding role for his people. Most famously, you might think of Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and how it continues with that, that metaphor that God is the great shepherd guiding us as his sheep. But we also might look at Psalm, um, I mean, sorry, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, which we would have read a few weeks ago as we finished up Isaiah. God says, um, or I, Isaiah says about God, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So we see this these attributions of a shepherd being ascribed to God Himself. And so it's really not surprising that God would favor shepherds in this way because God Himself knows what it's like to attend the flock of His own people. God knows what it's like to guard them from danger. 
And if we think about it, the very act of the incarnation, of God sending His Son to take on human flesh and to dwell among us, really is an act of shepherding. Just as the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night, really God coming and dwelling with us shows that He wants to be among us to protect us, to to shepherd us, and to show us compassion. And so, we might think about that as God is revealing Himself in this extraordinary way to the shepherds. And this is why, really, it's, it's good news for us, understanding that God is coming not with, with bad news, but, but good news as a, our shepherd, reaching out to grab us. And so we look at the, the actual good news itself and, and what it contains, what the message of the angel is. In verse 10, we'll read that again and continue on through verse 14. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So the the shepherds are going about their business, and what happens? The angel appears to them. And the sight of an angel wasn't, you know... um, Uh, pastoral or or just peaceful or anything like that. It was powerful and amazing and glorious in so much that they feared. They they said, what what is this? Is this this an angel of judgment? But the angel says, fear not. They thought maybe he was going to bring maybe bad news of judgment or it was just that the sight of it must have been just terrifying to them. So the angel absolutely had to reassure them. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, and I was thinking about this, of like, you know, someone leaving you a cryptic message or a text message or an email saying, oh, hey, we need to talk or we need to chat. And you're always going into the negative. And that's usually, I think it's just 2020 training us for more bad news. But I think of the occasions in which it's actually good news. Hey, we need to talk. Here's some good news. I think those are the most <laughs> incredible moments because it's like you're on the edge for a moment and you're fearing and you have some apprehension about what the news is going to be, but it's great news. And really, this is what the angels bring to them. Boom! This sudden burst of glorious light appears to the shepherds and it's, here's some good news. And so this would have um, really just amazed them and not only amazed them, informed them of what was going on in the neighboring city. So the good news that the angels share with them, um, really if, if we want to look at the root word, it's, it's referring to kind of evangelistic news. It's the same word that we get, you know, evan, evangelical, or it just simply means gospel. And so when we, you know, when we use the word gospel, it really just means good news. And that's what the angels were talking about. This is, this is essentially, they were sharing the gospel with the shepherds. So the angel gives them this news that in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. And the angels offer them a sign of this news. And we see that sign identified in verse 12. 
and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. When we think of Christmas signs, great signs and wonders to announce the birth of Jesus, we might think especially of the star which the wise men saw. You know, we have seen his star, we have come to worship him. But as the angels note to the shepherds, this sign for them was the Christ child himself. And this sign was meant to really substantiate the angels' claims and really comprise the source of the shepherd's joy. In other words, this newborn baby embodied all the good news of the promises of God that the angels were relating to the shepherds. And so we're going to look at the content of their message by the sign of this child and what this child meant to them. So first of all, we're going to go uh, really three major things that the, that the sign that the, um, this child was a sign of. And number one, we're going to look at the fact that this child was a sign of God's promises fulfilled. In verse 11, of course, we read that they, they told them, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then they subsequently identify this child as the Savior. So let's look at this great claim that this child and not any other in the history of the world was Christ the Lord, was the Savior. Really, this is the great claim. They're making the great claim of Jesus' ministry, of Jesus' claims even about Himself. But this wasn't just you know, the angels speaking in a vacuum. Really, this was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. So they had occasion to, to announce this. They had backing based on the prophets in the Old Testament. We might think of Isaiah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where God's speaking, and He says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This was the prophecy that was fulfilled by the coming of this child. In this prophecy in particular identifies the child, the ruler that was to be born in Bethlehem as the ancient one, as the Lord Himself who is from old who would subsequently take on flesh and appear among His people. So what the angels are saying to the shepherds are really the foundation of Christian belief, of what we would call the, the, like an orthodox Christology. This is Christ's claim that He is Lord and He is God. When you go outside of that, you, when, you say, when you deny that simple beginning foundational point that Christ is not God, you're outside of Christianity, essentially. This is foundational. God did not come in through existence through, by being born through Mary, but rather God has always existed, but He took on flesh in this particular instance. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says He was manifested in the flesh. He always was. Christ was from eternity. He has always existed, but only in this moment He was manifested in the flesh. And that's a miracle. It's a great cause for celebration that God would be fully God 
and yet suddenly fully man and would have our same flesh. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul also says, In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So when we talk about the incarnation, and that word, we throw that word around, that's really what we're talking about. That, that the flesh, that the Word of God Himself is identified in John chapter 1, was made flesh. That took on flesh. It's really incredible the more you just simply meditate on it. I'm always um, thinking about, there's an old Christmas album with a, they have a translation of Old Saxon of um, uh, first, uh, John chapter 1. And, and it, it's, it's strange because it doesn't sound like English, but it says, and pet word was flesh gordon. And it really, it's, it's saying, and the word was made flesh. And I always think flesh Gordon, that's, that's a cool name. That's, that's a cool word. It'd be, it should be a bad name. But the incarnation is exactly that, that the word of God took on human flesh, took on our likeness, but without sin. And so understanding that, God appoints this child as our Savior. Yes, he's a ruler as identified in the prophecy. He is, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. But how does the Messiah deliver His people? He would save them. He would save them from their sins and from judgment. From eternal damnation outside of the presence and the face of God. Because Christ came to save us from our true problems. Not from our temporary you know, political issues or social issues, but from our deep-seated issues of sin. And that's why He is our Savior. And that's why it's not just regional good news. It's not something that should have only been broadcast on the local news near them and the local newspapers, but it's world news. The fact that this is the Savior of the world. The second thing we see about this child and the truth that this child embodies is that this child was a sign of God's peace. As it is in, in um, Luke chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, this is their, their song of praise to God. This is what their song of praise says. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. They praise God and they they give glory to God, which kind of answers the question to us, what does heaven think about Christmas? Well, heaven loves Christmas. They rejoice at Christmas. They give glory to God in the highest at the very first Christmas. Because a great miracle has happened. Christ has come. And He's come to bring peace to people. This is an often misunderstood phrase. That's quoted around Christmas time. Oh, you know, peace on earth. Which usually at the extent to which its, its meaning follows for people is that, oh, God says peace on earth, so just be nice to each other. Maybe, maybe, maybe call off disagreements and maybe have a pause in the, the wars that usually rage in our world. But this is referring in its truest sense to real spiritual peace. Which is the reality of those who approach God in faith in Christ. The promise of peace, though, is only good news, of course, to people who are in conflict. 
And so the implication here is that there is conflict going, there is conflict raging in the world, and God comes to bring peace. We have a lot of conflict today especially, and we have a lot of separation today. And it's so hard even to resolve any of the conflict since we're so separated. We live in a hyper-mediated world where we're communicating with each other through screens. So if we have a disagreement with someone, there's, there's a lot of dis- discouragement even in our society to have a one-on-one conversation. It usually has to be mediated maybe by a phone call. And it's just, you can feel the tension in which you, you feel that this is, like, this is almost like not human. This is not the human experience. This is not normal to be mediated in this way. But we have to understand that the truer reality is that we have a conflict with God from our own rebellious hearts, from of sin. And we, have, we are experiencing whether we we realize it or not, a deep separation between ourselves and God. And it's due to our rebellion against God. Yes, we have a lot of conflict between people, between demographics, and we have conflict in politics. We have conflict with our own family, even maybe on a daily basis. But our true conflict is our rebellion against God, and that's the conflict that Christ came to fix But the good news is that Christ was born as the the King of Peace. As the Prince of Peace. And the One who would bring peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 14, He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing both the law of commandments, or by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What's going on there? What's, what is Paul talking about? That God has set up laws which show His holiness. And the laws are really showing our sinfulness. They're showing us the great contrast between us and God that we're not good enough, we're not glorious enough to even approach God on God's terms. And so Christ comes and He makes peace between us and God by ridding us of the thing that was causing the conflict, which is sin. Because He has in Himself taken our sin upon the cross and died for that sin. And so therefore, if Christ is judged for our sin, we are not. The Puritan Richard Sibb said this, and I really liked it, Christ is our peace from His incarnation to His death, from thence to His resurrection and ascension and intercession. And he continues on, he says, all peace with God, with angels and with creatures is established in Christ. If you're looking for peace in this world, and I know people are, there's many songs about peace, there's many earnest desires for peace, you will only find it through Christ. And let me tell you, when you find that peace with God through Christ, why not move it further? Why would we let Arguments between ourselves and brothers and sisters in Christ persist and linger when we have, when we understand the peace that God gives us. Why would we think that maybe a conflict with a difficult family member or someone who's close to us, some kind of close loved one, would be insurmountable when we think of the fact that our sin really was an insurmountable obstacle to our peace with God? 
So when peace, when you have the peace of God that comes through Christ, it comes, it, it manifests itself in an outward way. And so then we can have disagreements on, on maybe a few things as the body of Christ, but essentially we're at peace with one another. And that's what God, God calls us to be. We're at peace with one another because we're at peace initially with God. So when we understand that we can let peace rule in our lives, and we can be peacemakers. But thirdly, we're going to continue on and look at the fact that this child, the other thing than the last thing this child represented was their occasion for worship. I might also say their, their object of worship. As we look at the... Um, Think about that as we look at the reaction of the shepherds in um, Luke 2, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising them for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the shepherds respond to this announcement. And what do they do? They act quickly. And they just said, hey, let's go check it out. Let's see what's going on. I don't know if you guys use um, nativity calendars in your place, in your house, maybe with, with kids and things like that. And I, and I thought about just the, how much Christian devotional literature has, has, it, has devoted the, the topic to you know, preparing your hearts for Advent season, preparing your hearts for Christmas. But I think I kind of prefer the shepherd's um, practicality where they're like, hey, let's go now. Like, we're not going to wait for Christmas. Let's go find Christmas. They went and looked for Christ. And so this might be yet another reason that God showed the shepherds because they, he, maybe he knew that they were just going to go out and see him. Maybe they, they knew they would act on this faith. And so they said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened. And of course, the angels didn't give him much direction. They said he's in a manger in Bethlehem. So I wonder how many mangers they looked for. They looked through before they found what they were looking for. But we have to commend them. Why is their action commendable? Well, because they acted out in faith. Faith was the driving force to go see the Christ child. To go gaze upon this baby. Because, you know, was it because the baby was you know, notable for his beauty? Maybe, you, maybe it was just a really good looking baby. Well, we're not exactly told what in Scripture Christ looked like. And we can only conjecture. But that doesn't seem to be the driving force for gazing upon this child. Rather, the true beauty to gaze upon was in all the promises, was the promises that he was adorned in, if you will. Christ the baby was adorned with the promises of God, and that's what made him beautiful. And so, therefore, it was not simply that they looked upon Him, that they just saw the child and they're like, oh, I get it. But it was that they looked upon Him with faith. And they saw in this child the confirmation of all the words that the angels were saying. That it was all true. Everything that they 
we're saying. And so, my encouragement to you is that as you're looking at Christmas things, as you're looking at sights of Christmas, remember to look on Christ with the eyes of faith. How do I do that, Jared? Trusting You trust in Christ's life, death, and His resurrection. You trust in Him for His goodness. And because your key really to experiencing the joy of Christmas is experiencing Christ Himself and enjoying the benefits and the blessings you have because of what Christ came to do for you. Without Christ, there's really no power in Christmas. There's just tradition and maybe tired family gatherings. But when you find the Lord, when you gaze upon Christ in faith, with the eyes of faith, you get it. That's everything. So we see how the shepherds responded to this good news. How should we respond to this good news? We don't have an angel appearing to us at midnight, maybe waking at us from bed. We don't have the opportunity to gaze upon the Christ child because if you know Scripture, Christ ascended into heaven after the resurrection. So what do we do today to respond to the good news of Christmas? Well, number one, we can take one of the points and one of the the actions of the shepherds in our own life and we can seek the Lord. But we seek the Lord in faith. If you seek Christmas presents or if you seek that, that's, that elusive spirit of Christmas which is often alluded to in Christmas movies, that it's always something different. You know, Chris, the meaning of Christmas is family or the meaning of Christmas is joy. And it's always something vague and different. It's something that's like non-falsifiable. But really the meaning of Christmas is Christ Himself. And we can seek the Lord in faith because there is nothing else that will satisfy us. Psalm 17, verse 15, the psalmist says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Satisfy yourself in Christ. Secondly, show God's peace. Show God's peace. To show God's peace, you have to have had experienced God's peace in in trusting in Christ, but this season, when everyone's in conflict and you know the election results are continually contested and people are shouting at each other um, from little squares at the corners of TVs, let us be peacemakers. Let God's people spread peace to one another and show the love of God during this time. Lastly, let's share the wonder. And this is what the shepherds did. In verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at, the sh- at what the shepherds told them. Share the wonder with those in your life. When people ask, what are you doing for Christmas? Say, we're going to church. Or we're, we're watching church. Or we're experiencing church. We're worshiping Christ. Because we really believe that the incarnation is the ultimate reality. You know, there's a strangeness to Christmas, if you will. I was listening to a, um, an experimental version of, uh, 
uh, Silent Night. In the, in the 70s, some composer went and got, and he changed a few things and added a little bit of dissonance. So it sounds a little bit off at this one point. And I sometimes wonder if the true Christmas story kind of sounds like that to the world, where it's like, you guys really believe that God came down and, and took on flesh? But when they see your faith, your genuine faith of, yes, I really do believe that, there's a sense of wonder. And that's kind of the wonder that, that those who heard the shepherds' experiences. And wonder is usually the step before faith. When it's like, well, maybe this is true. Maybe this is the reality. Maybe we can substantiate these claims that Christ is making about Himself. And if the incarnation is true, that means the death and the resurrection and the ascension is true. That means heaven is true. And that means forgiveness for my sins is a possibility. So share the wonder with those around you. And let me just say one more thing in closing. For those of you who don't have a relationship with God, who don't have the confidence and the trust in Christ, remember this, that even as the shepherds went and looked for Christ, really it was God who looked for them initially. And we should remember that Christ is the great shepherd. And He's always looking for to bring sheep into His sheepfold. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, Christ is called the great shepherd. And Peter says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ. Or maybe you've stumbled in your relationship with Christ this year. Maybe you feel like you've fallen away from the Lord. Remember that you have a great shepherd who's looking for you. And what is the guarantee? What is the sign that He's looking for you? Well, He sent His own Son into the world looking for you. And so Christ Himself approaches you and is asking you to trust in Him. To have faith in Him and to come and worship Him. So as we pray, let us consider that. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for these Scriptures, these beautiful stories. But Lord, even more than just their aesthetic pleasure, I thank You for their spiritual beauty. And Lord, even as we look at the ultimate reality of the Incarnation, Lord, let let it shape our, our daily reality in how we live. That because... Christ came, all things are possible for God. Because Christ came, all the promises of God are trustworthy. Because Christ came and was the sacrifice for our sins and our Savior, our sins can be forgiven. So I ask for anyone in here and anyone watching and listening that, Lord, You would touch them and You would reach out to them And you would prompt them to simply believe and trust in Christ in faith. And so, Lord, we give this time to you and we worship you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.